Hello, and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 88. I'm Kay, here with my co-host, Taz. Hey there. Today we'll be discussing the 22nd episode of season 4, Bad Timing. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of this week's episode. Scorpius has led Bracca to Moya, bearing an intercepted message from Emperor Stalik. The Scarans have sent a striker towards Earth in search of the birds of paradise John told them about. As John struggles with whether to align himself with the peacekeepers or try to fix his own mess, he and Aaron dance around their own issues of commitment. Meanwhile, Pilate is forced to make a terrible decision in order to save Earth. Here we are at the end of season four. So our season finale, as you could probably guess from the title, is all about timing. And it's a classic Farscape situation where there's no time to think through their options. There's no time to figure out a good solution. And for John and Aaron, it's a bad time to talk about their relationship while they're in the middle of this like mess. So I would also argue, though, that this episode is one of good timing. You know, because they actually do figure out what to do. And John figures out how to collapse the wormhole. And Pilot decides to help him do that. And he gets enough time to say goodbye to his dad. And then he and Aaron throughout this episode have all these conversations that really are more converging on commitment rather than driving them apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you have to contrast this episode with the end of last season Mm -hmm. where it was like all about everything falling apart. You know, and it and it ended with that like awful, terrible coin toss. You know, and then the, and then the, the cliffhanger. I would argue at the end of last episode was actually more terrifying than this one. But maybe that's just because I've seen this one, you yeah. know, already before. And last and last time, I was like, wait, how does he get out of this situation? Yeah, I would also actually go back even to season one and season two season finales to put you know, put this one in in contrast with those as well, because at the end of season one, we have Aaron being separated from the group, right? She's, you know, on her own and John and Dargo are in the cliffhanger next to the, the gamut base that's been exploded. And at the end of season two, we have her dead. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's always this separation between John and Aaron that we've seen at the end and that they're the cliffhanger, right? Where's the relationship, where they stand with each other. And here we finally get the resolution of that. Yeah, and I think it really just fluidly ends with them together. And mm-hmm. I think that there is some argument to be made with given that they did know going into production of this episode that it was going to be the last episode of the series. Um, mm-hmm. Don't worry, fans. We know there's Peacekeeper Wars. We are <laughs> recording Peacekeeper Wars. But this is technically the last episode of the series. And so given that this was the last episode and they knew that going in, I think there should there is some argument to be made that they should have just clipped the last, you know, minute, two minutes of this episode. I can't remember all the details of all that. Like, how far into the production were they when they got the cancellation notice? I feel like part of the reason that they left it on was because it was kind of a giant F you to the sci-fi channel for canceling them because this one was clearly set up for a season five with the season season five in mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I won't argue that I'll link to a really interesting oral history of the end of Farscape on our Twitter. But as far as I know, I mean, they knew going into filming. 
So as yeah. much as it was a giant FU, yeah, to filming this episode, as much as it was an FU to Sci-Fi Network, it also, even as a, it, it as a fan, it really also felt like an FU to me <laughs> personally. Yeah. Yeah. I remember exactly where I was when I watched this episode. Like I was at the end of my freshman year of college. The, we had already moved out, but we hadn't like 100% moved out of our dorm room. I had left the TV. It was my roommate's TV plugged in just so I could watch this episode mm-hmm. before like the entire room was empty and I watched it and then I was screaming at the television. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's a terrifying ending. It's a terrifying ending. And knowing it was the end too. Like I, every, all the fans knew this show had been canceled too. Yeah. I mean, I think what was awful for me was that I didn't, I wasn't really involved with a lot of the online fandom at that point. So Mm -hmm. for me, it just felt like a cliffhanger. And then afterwards, I found out it was being canceled. And then there was kind of this move to like, you know, save Farscape, but it was too late at that point. It was way too Mm -hmm. late. And kind of the news came down that they were destroying Moya. They were destroying the set. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the end of all hope for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was a two-year campaign to get the miniseries, and that was a fan-run campaign called Save Farscape, and they did indeed get us the miniseries, and I remember KFC was one of the sponsors, so everyone was like, eat fried chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So getting into the episode, I want to argue that this is one of my favorite episodes because it was so tight. They do the exposition, I think, a little better here than they've done for the... Um... I loved the exposition in this episode. It yeah. was so clever. So clever. And it felt like, to me, it felt a lot better than the exposition we had for any of the trilogy that we just watched. Mm-hmm. And um, it also reminded me a lot of Scratch and Sniff. Yeah. So it starts with Aaron and John talking to each other. And they're talking about... Scorpius. And apparently Scorpius has brought Bracca to Moya. And so John is really, really angry. And Aaron is, you know, equally angry, but she obviously has different feelings than John does about Scorpius. So they're talking about how Bracca has sent a message being like, hey, if you guys hurt Scorpius, we're going to fire on you. And if you do any of this, we're going to fire on you. And John is just really mad. And then it turns out that Bracca actually brought a message from Emperor Stalik that says that they're sending a striker to Earth. It was an intercepted message. Yeah, and the way that they do this cinematography-wise is that they have John and Aaron recounting, or John recounting what Scorpius told him, and then it kind of his voice kind of melds with Scorpius in this. And we get Scorpius on screen, and then we have, and then when he's recounting what Bracca said, it becomes Bracca on screen, and then you kind of have their voice overlap. So it's this conversation that's happening, but you see like the original people who said it in the first. So it's like instead of like as you know, Bob, with John repeating everything, we actually get to see the actors actors doing it themselves, and. Right, so there's a striker headed for Earth, and Bracca wants Scorpius, and Scorpius has made this offer to John, and he's also told John that he shouldn't be upset about Scorpius's betrayal by bringing. Oh Bracca my gosh! There. <laughs> it's like the opening line. Yeah, Scorpius being like, "Why are you so obsessed with betrayal, John?" Is essentially <laughs> what Scorpius says, and Aaron is like, "He actually said that," and John was like, "Yes." He actually said that. <laughs> right. So there's there's kind of that back and forth, too. Scorpius has made the offer to John that, okay, look, tell us where, take us, the peacekeepers, to Earth, and we'll protect Earth from space from the Scarabs, which, you know, 
bad idea when you get the, the peacekeepers involved in planetary protection. I mean, that's basically their racket in the whole of known space in this region of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's essentially like take the mob to your you know, little <laughs> mom and pop shop and be like, yeah, sure, they'll protect it. But at what cost? Exactly. You know? And obviously, John doesn't want to accept the peacekeepers offer. And he thinks maybe possibly that he has a third option, which is he can collapse the wormhole that's going to Earth. Yeah, but he's really tentative about that. And it's and at this point, it feels a lot like a last grasp. It's just that mm-hmm. he deeply doesn't want to accept Scorpius's offer. And it felt it's we've seen him do this before. For example, last episode when Stalik kind of had him backed into a corner and it was kind of getting to the point of like either help Stalik or die because they had no way off the base. And then it was kind of like, okay, so I guess we're going to go with Scorpius's plan. And that's kind of what this feels like is that John feels like he's being backed further and further into a corner of accepting peacekeeper help. And so he really, really wants his third option of collapsing the wormhole or destroying the wormhole somehow. Yep. And then kind of after he says that, here's the conversation with, with between him and Aaron that kind of gets into their, their relationship And it also shows kind of how this whole exposition style is working. All right, but what if they make it there before you? What if they beat you there? Happens to your family, everyone. Make a decision, John. You have nothing to fear from this commitment. It's a big commitment. Either one. So you're... Afraid of commitment. Hey, wait a minute. Did she hesitate like that, or was that just you doing that now? What does it matter? Well, it matters because if she hesitated like that, she knows you were talking about her. You said what? What I said? Like you said? What does it matter? Well, if you said it to him like you said it when you said it to me, then it means that he knows it you now. Now is not a good time to be talking commitment with peacekeepers. Earth is not ready. Will they ever be? One day. Maybe. So you get out of it? Oh, please. No, really, because, uh... If she paused like that. I don't want to talk about it. So what do we do? We hope. We hope that I can figure out how to destroy the wormhole. Otherwise, all the bad things happen. And it'll be my fault. Well, I'm with you. Good job. Always position yourself so they have to come to you. Chana, this isn't about us. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite part is just, you know, the the boys and the girls talking about what the other boy and girl are thinking about them and analyzing the conversation to death. It just makes me happy when Dargo and Chiana play the wing people. I love here that it turns out that what we thought was the conceit which was John and Aaron talking about things that Scorpius had done, is actually John and Aaron talking about the conversation they had about Scorpius to their respective like sounding boards being Chiana and Dargo. 
And I also love that Dargo was the only one to pick up on like, did she pause like that? Because like, <laughs> that means something. And also Chiana being like, hey, come on, is that how you said it? Because if you said it, then now he, now you're in like this thing. And I don't know. I just love everything about it. It's so good. It is really good. Because that's the other thing that makes this episode work really well is this underlying tension of the relationship between John and Aaron. And it's something we've talked about in the past, for especially for season four episodes, that the ones that really work well are the ones that have this emotional through line, especially the ones that are hinged on John and Aaron's relationship since it's central to the show. You know, those are the ones that really, really make it work. And this one definitely does here. Yeah. I think that's one reason that Terra Firma, was that the last Earth episode? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's one reason that Terra Firma works really well is because even though it's technically about like all this other stuff and the politics and blah, 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 it's also mainly about John and Aaron. And that's what Mm -hmm. this feels like, except this feels so much different than the end of season three. Do you know what I mean? So different. Yeah. Because this feels like they're both on the same page. Because even as she says, like, so you're afraid of commitment, she's kind of smiling at him, you know? Yeah. And he kind of, when he's like, okay, but like, not right now, he's also (laughs) smiling. So it's them kind of still being on the same page, even as they're, you know, even as John is still putting up those walls, you know? Mm -hmm. I would even say it's different from mid-season four, right? Oh, yeah. We had that turning point in Twice Shy. And before that, he and Aaron are really at odds with each other. And it's not all just because John is playing for Scorpy's benefit that he doesn't like Aaron. You know, there's some Mm -hmm. real issues that they have with her not being up front to him, with him about the baby and, you know, her leaving and, you know, honoring that coin toss at the end of season three. But here, you know, we've started to see that transition after Twice Shy. We really saw it in uh, the Worst Hood Screw trilogy when it's the, kind of the two of them against the world kind of situation. I mean, obviously, the whole crew against the world, Scaran world. But you really see them being on the same page. And she even says it in this quote. She's like, I'm with you, you know, what? no matter what we're together on this. And that's a theme that kind of comes up in some of the other quotes that happen later on. Before we get to that, um, they send Scorpius and Sukozu, who are like, why won't you listen to reason? Out in airlock with a bomb that basically is like, here you go, Bracca. Here's Scorpius. The bomb will be deactivated once we're gone. But if you try to shoot us, we'll kill Scorpius. So those two are delivered now to the command carrier. Moya starbursts away. And now John has to get down to figure out how to collapse the wormhole, which he kind of sort of thinks he might be able to do. Mm -hmm. So again here, the real tension throughout this episode is whether or not Scorpius would honor a deal and whether or not John needs to take it. That's kind of the main tension throughout the episode. And we've seen Scorpius be like a lot more reasonable recently. Mm -hmm. He's been part of the team. Yeah, he's definitely, I mean, think of all the times he's played along. Think of all the things he's done that have actually helped, you know? He's definitely becoming very, not like Harvey Harvey, but, you know, he's definitely more on the Harvey side of helping, you know? Mm -hmm. So John is down in the hangar, and he's trying to figure out the math on collapsing a wormhole. And he and Dargo and Shiana end up having a really kind of hilarious conversation. Yeah, so he's got a uh, paper that he's written all his wormhole notes on, strewn everywhere, and that's what he's looking at on the floor. John, at this range, pilot can still contact Scorpius, but after one more starburst, he... No turning back. I think you should concentrate on your training with Katoya. Katoya is a frilling fruit loop. Focus on your inner strength. It's here. 
I just can't find the Rosetta Stone. Katoya. Fruit Loop. Sex. Gianna. Sex does it. For you. For everyone. Sex. With you or with him? Whatever. I just want to point out that John thinks Katoya was a Fruit Loop, and I kind of agree. <laughs> I mean, I, that was from the the mental training guy from Mental as Anything, and yeah, he was all right actually. I think I had a better opinion of him previously, but I just love John's utter disdain for him in that whole episode. I think it's so funny though because they had such different trainings. Like Dargo got emotional closure and like essentially an um a new view on his relationship with Lolan, whereas John got stuck in a hot box. Yeah, pretty much. So like <laughs> I think it also depends on what training you got from Katoya. I think the interesting thing here is it's striking to me that we're bringing up Crace as the betrayer. Mm-hmm. Where I think for a really, I mean, for several seasons now, it's really been Scorpius. Like, yeah, Crace was out for himself and he was the one that initially got John into this whole mess. But kind of being like, not everybody was represented by Crace's betrayal is an interesting tack, especially from Dargo, who literally just had to deal with Macton, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think Crace. Crace was betraying the peacekeeper ideals and that was acknowledged as something that he was doing throughout season one, you know, when he was like killed his uh, Lieutenant Teague, the the blonde uh, Lieutenant who was his right hand before Bracca. And when basically Scorpius stole his ship out from under him because all his peacekeeper troops knew that he was betraying their ideals and going on this personal vendetta. Scorpius, on the other hand, I mean, Yes, he has hunted John, but he's always been upfront about what he wanted. Mm. So I think he is, he is less of a betrayal in that he never betrayed his peacekeeper ideals because he was very upfront about them always. He betrayed John, yes, never, several times. <laughs> Screwed him over several times, you know. Having Harvey in his head, I mean, that's a pretty big, you know, invasion and, and warping of your personality. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. strictly betrayal, but... Something like that. But anyway, someone not to be trusted for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that Darko maybe has this new view of Scorpius, mostly because Scorpius has been on the ship and has been helpful and did just help them get out of Catrazzi, you know? Mm-hmm. And remember, the Luxons are also allies of the Peacekeepers. So they're, they, I mean, yes, they have Peacekeeper jurisdiction on their planet, but they are in a different status than many of the other Protectorate planets that the peacekeepers deal with yeah but i find that even weirder than that dargo would say this because they literally just know that peacekeeper high command was willing to sell out the luxons to the scarens do you know what i mean so it just finds i I think it's an interesting (laughs) line from dargo just because i'm like really dargo you're sure because like they were willing to like give the luxons to the scarens on a silver platter you know well maybe it comes down to he sees the the uncertainty that john has about Mm. whether he can figure this out 
And what is better, the Peacekeepers or the Scarens? And I think Darga would definitely say that the Peacekeepers is the better of the two of those devils. Yeah, that's true. So John really is struggling with these math equations. I'm kind of with Team Chiana here. Like, I think <laughs> that mental breaks help with things. He ends up shooting one of his papers and it burns up. And then he's in his quarters. Neuranti tries to give him drugs because Pilot has told them, okay, we're not going to beat the striker there unless we do something called like a prolonged starburst. Which Extended starburst, yeah. Yeah, which we've never seen before and it makes everybody really woozy because essentially they're in starburst for instead of a short period of time for a very long period of time. Mm-hmm. And so Naranti tries to drug him and Aaron walks in just as John is refusing the drugs. How fares the wormhole? Can you close one down? Naranti, would you leave us, please? I know of one sure curative for brain lock. Natural? Come on. Organic? Drugs. Please. How is your nausea, dear? Better, thank you. Good. I can take a hint. I was looking for your maintenance bay. I liked your solution. Like that, did you? You have any home remedies for writer's block? I know you better than that. I'm gonna fail. It's a sin, really. I'm close. There's just not enough time. It's always about time. Yeah, time. Timing. Timing. Love you. Don't ever change. love about that scene is just how I don't know it's just really sweet between the two of them and that Aaron acknowledges that that she can't help John like figure it out the math she doesn't know the equations she doesn't know the wormholes but she does know him and she knows that he needs to talk it out with somebody just kind of talk through what he's feeling talk through everything in his head and maybe something will shake loose and lo and behold it does Mm mm-hmm I also love her patience there. And we've talked about her developing feelings about wormholes. And I think that this is also another turning point because, again, we've seen her, you know, feel like wormholes are going to take John away. We've seen her feel like, you know, the terror of losing John as a result of wormholes, essentially. And now we kind of have her in this place where she knows that wormholes are just a part of their life, you know? And so she Mm -hmm. really wants to help him with this. And it's just, I don't know, that empathy there. It's so different from how her character has been for four seasons now, you know? It feels like real growth. Real growth and also real partnership. Mm -hmm. Like, this is somebody who is and will be and has been John's partner through all of this, right? And eventually, and now his romantic partner in all of this. And that's like the kind of thing you do for your partners. You support them in what, you know, what they're trying to accomplish and what they're trying to do. 
And she does that right here. And it's just really nice to watch. And she is calm and patient and sitting back and just watching him with this little smile on her face. That's just like, you're going to get there. And it's faith in him, you know, that's mm-hmm. kind of what I think shines through there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So John has figured out that timing is the issue. And he realizes that there's like a bubble that forms before the actual wormhole forms. And then when the bubble pops, that forms a wormhole. And he figures if you pop the bubble just before the wormhole forms, it would actually cause a chain reaction that would shut down the wormhole. Yep. And he explains all this to Pilot, who is basically his the person who can understand the math and the physics and all that and basically check him on it. Mm-hmm. But Pilot points out, well, first of all, Pilot can see the little bubble, which is a is a surprise to John, who smells it, which I love that little touch right there, that little world building of like he can smell it coming. But he also points out that it's going to be like millisecond timing, like so fine that John is physically incapable of driving or piloting a craft to pop the bubble. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's kind of a couple of things that come out there. Again, the pilot can see it. You have a really neat 1812 cameo because 1812 (laughs) plays the like little hologram. And then John is like, okay, well, even if I can't do it, I have to try is essentially how he feels about it. And we have this next conversation between John and Aaron in the hangar bay where he's going to take the module and he's going to try and use the module to pop the bubble. Mm -hmm. Because he asked Pilot if he could do it and Pilot said no. I'm coming with you. Aaron, we got one shot at the wormhole before the Scarens arrive. Pilot's explained this maneuver to me. He's not very optimistic. If it doesn't work, we could be stuck on Earth. There are worse places. Not if the Scarens get there. Then we'll have to do the best we can. What did you imagine for your life? Service, promotion, retirement, death. You? This is exactly what I imagined. And a couple of kids. There's two things that strike me about that conversation. And the first is Aaron's like, I'm coming with you. If you're, if there's a chance that you're going to be trapped on the other side of that wormhole, I want to be with you. And it doesn't matter if it's Earth and it doesn't matter if it was terrible last time we were on Earth and we couldn't fathom staying there. We will make it work because we'll be together. And I just, I love that. And that's what I meant at the beginning when I said like their conversations are converging on commitment, right? Because this is a commitment from her. This is like, I want to be where you are. Mm-hmm. And John's not willing quite yet to like let her come because he wants her to be safe and he's afraid of what will happen to her while she's on earth but we're getting there and then the second thing is john's question of where do you think where did you imagine you would be and i just find it fascinating i mean aaron's is very typical what she saw her life as a peacekeeper you know you know very straight you know birth death retirement death (laughs) she did die already once But John's saying, like, this is exactly where I imagined I would be. And I was just wondering, like, what do you make of that? Hmm. 
I think he always pictured himself as like having an adventurous life. Like there's no way he could have imagined he would be on Moya (laughs) and trying to save the world and this, that, and the other. But I think that he definitely did see himself meeting somebody like her. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Somebody who really challenged him and really pushed him to be a better person. And I think that also he always saw himself doing important things, doing critical things, yeah. you know, because remember like the whole slingshot maneuver was meant to get people into deep space. And we've talked multiple times about like, what was John's plan for getting home after performing <laughs> the slingshot maneuver? So clearly I think that for him, like he always pictured he was going to be doing something important and life-saving. A couple of scenes later, we kind of have an echo of this conversation that is really interesting because John and Aaron are kind of coming at this and they're and she turns to him and and they're talking and she's like, you know, when I saw when I first saw you, I kind of saw our relationship. Like she saw where their relationship would go. And it really terrified her. This idea of being committed to somebody and being together with somebody. And John kind of saw the same thing, but he saw that their relationship wouldn't end essentially. Which is it's interesting to me that for her the like scary part for her was being committed to somebody because her whole life it's been like her alone, you know, <laughs> yeah. her in like these meaningless one night impermanent things. Mm-hmm. And for him, it's like he just sees, the, you know, the kind of typical earth like forever. Like, you know, he sees yeah. himself being with her forever. Whereas for her, she's like, no, I saw us getting to this point, you know. Right, getting to a point and then the relationship ending. Because remember, we've seen early in season one and in later seasons, one of Aaron's biggest fears is dying alone. Like, she doesn't want to be alone. She didn't see a future for the two of them past a certain point. Like, she's always had those relationships that end. I think that's Mm -hmm. a really good point you're making there of the two of them coming at it from such different perspectives, but still kind of starting to arrive at the same point. Yeah. And so I think that that's also like an interesting kind of tie back to this because she really saw her life like laid out. And John kind of always saw his life as an adventure, you know, Mm -hmm. and maybe that again, that was his like cowboy astronaut of a father. But (laughs) yeah, open ended. That's what it makes me think of. Yeah, exactly. So after this, (laughs) Rigel goes and talks to Pilot and essentially is like, hey, I think you should do it. And Pilot's like, would you do it? And Rigel's like, nah, but I am not you. You know? Yeah, it's actually a really touching little moment where Rigel is like, Pilot, think about this again. Because Pilot told John up front, I can't do it either. But he was lying. And now we learn that he could do the calculations to make the wormhole collapse. And I just love that Rigel's the one that goes to him about it. Yeah, because we've kind of seen like them having a more intimate relationship ever since Zan passed, ever since Zan died, you know, Mm -hmm. that Rigel has been the one to kind of see the greatness of Pi. Well, I mean, Rigel always has since season one. Yeah. Back when he says, you know, the great ship, you know, that Rigel has always had a much different relationship with Pilot and Moya than everybody else. Mm -hmm. But I think you're right that he does step into Zan's shoes a little bit here and be the one to bolster Pilot's confidence and question whether he really wants to say no to John. Like, that is something I could definitely have seen Zan doing if she were here. But because she's not, you know, it's it's Rigel kind of stepping up. It's it's not even Rigel's planet. It's John's planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like Rigel doesn't actually have a, a any kind of skin in this game. Yeah. 
In fact, Rigel honestly would have much of an opposite because if Pilate does do this, it means that Rigel's own life is in danger, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that this is also Rigel the leader, you know, thinking yeah. of like a planet of billions of people versus their small little lives, you know? Mm-hmm. So we go back to uh, the command carrier for a little bit and we see Scorpius and Sokozu who are having uh, dinner or lunch and Braca's welcoming welcoming them back and Greza is still locked up and not really happy about it. And essentially, I think Scorpius says, you know, John will come around. He's going to come back to crawling back to me and asking for my help. And Braca's just thrilled to have Scorpius back there. Sokozu's being... I don't know. The two of them are starting to have two of Scorpius and Sokozu are definitely, you know, still in their pseudo romance, not pseudo romance, romance kind of situation. And then a little bit later, you actually, we actually see Scorpius and Sokozu start to, to, they're not making out, but it's definitely a prelude to making out and Brock is watching them. So I'm very happy for their new OT3 that's going on right there. Yeah, they're like little thruple with like <laughs> definite weird subtones because like part of it is that she hands him like a collar and then she sits on Scorpius's lap and he like wraps it around her neck. And then Brock mm-hmm. is watching all this with like a smile on his face. And I'm like, yeah, all right. At least everybody is like happy and <laughs> consenting to what's going on here. Yes. Yes. So that's the only little interlude we get from from those folks at this episode, I think. I think that's it, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we wish them all the best. So back on Boya, John is starting to think through, they're still in the extended starburst, and John is is sitting down to record uh, a message to his father and to Earth on his voice recorder, the same one that we saw in the premiere and the end of season one. And he actually, as he speaks, he's saying the credits, you know, the, I'm John, Ash, John Crichton, an astronaut. I've been lost in space, you know, for four years. Um, I've met this living ship and gone and on and on. So he's, it's basically the credits information or the credit sequence. But he gets interrupted in the middle of it by Harvey, who is basically attacking him in his head in a giant bunny suit. And it's kind of fantastic. Yeah. And they have this moment where, you know, Harvey, we, we've now seen, has kind of returned to his loyalty to Scorpius. But here he's actually making a point that John feels is right. Because, again, John knows how to collapse a wormhole, but he also knows it's impossible. Physically impossible for him. Yeah, it's physically impossible for him. So, essentially, Harvey comes at, goes, comes at him and says, okay, let's use Easter as a metaphor for what's going on. <laughs> and he's like, essentially... <laughs> Either you believe in the religious Easter of like somebody dying and coming back from the dead. But if you do believe in that, then why do you have, you know, chocolate and Easter bunnies? And if you don't believe in that, then you're empty on the inside, but at least you have chocolate, you know, and that's kind of his, his and the way he's kind of framing it is, okay, so you know that this is an impossible thing. So either believe in the impossible thing and believe that you can do the impossible thing or except that the other option is Scorpius. Mm-hmm. And John kind of is like, okay, fine, I accept Scorpius. So he runs back up to command. He has Pilot try and get a message to Scorpius, and Shiana is pissed. She does not want to call Scorpius back. 
and she keeps questioning him like why are you why are you doing this and john is sarcastic as i'll get out here because he doesn't want to do it either but he sees no other choice because he knows that he is not able to do it and i think he says something along the lines of i'm not smart enough i'm not alien enough in order to do it Mm -hmm. at about the same time pilot is shaking and he's kind of violently going through something and Aaron talks to him and Pilot actually admits to her that he's disagreeing with Moya. And then we find out what he's disagreeing with Moya about. Moya is enormously distressed by what we are about to do. Tell her she must be brave. It's for the good of the family. Pilot, how's this going to work? Because the transport parts are built of Moya's own elements. I will be able to live in one for up to an hour. But if we're not rejoined by then... Both wounds will scab over, and our neurological connections will have no chance of regenerating. We're going to be quick. We go, wormhole closes, we wait. Before it opens again, we pop the bubble and we're back home. If not, my death is assured. And without Moya, I shall die alone. You won't be alone, Moya. He shall return. And I'm here. We're all here. This will help you to relax. Aaron? Most life-sustaining systems are on manual bypass. Ready as can be. Then do it if you're going to do it. Captain? Pip? Okay, pilot. I really need to hear this from you. Captain Dargo, I remind the ship to your control. You may now cut me free of Moya. And then they cut him free from Moya and he screams and it's very painful for everybody involved, including me watching it, seeing Pilot and Moya in pain like that. And so, yeah, so so Pilot has thought over what Rigel said. He has agreed to Pilot the transport pod, which he can exist in for an Arn, to collapse the wormhole. And there's a little moment where where John thanks Rigel for convincing him in all sorts of gruff uh, confrontational ways. But really it's Pilot and Moya here who are making the sacrifice and going to help John. And I kind of just love that the season finale here, the series finale hinges on Pilot and the ship, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of the heart of the series, really. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. Moya is... Because even though sometimes we we say, oh, the Farscape crew, this is really the Moya crew. You know, yeah. everybody is only here because of Moya and Pilot. And I like that Nuranti kind of poses it as for the good of the family, meaning that the family, to be honest, this is not for the good of the family, but because the family needs Moya to survive. But at the same time, it's kind of like all for one and one for all. If John's yeah. world goes down... You know, it means terrible things. Yeah. And it's going to hurt John, too. You know, it's like doing this for John. You know, it's not just for his planet. It is a choice to help their friend. Yeah, exactly. And I also like that everybody in this really jam-packed episode, everybody really has a chance to shine here. Because you have Rigel, you know, being his best self when he convinces Pilot to, you know, do this. You have Neuranti being useful with her drugs, you know? <laughs> and then later on, after they're separated, she's, like, rubbing some sort of, like, liquid ointment on on the connections to try and keep them moist for as long as possible. 
And then immediately after this, when Chiana and Dargo start cutting, Naranti comes down for a moment and is like, hey, you have to stop. Like, he's going crazy. And they're like, pilot? And then it turns out, no, Stark. Because Stark is there. (laughs) Yeah, because Stark is there. Stark. So they go up and it turns out pilot is trying to teach him all of the stuff he needs to do to keep Moya functioning while pilot's gone. And he's like, no, it's too much. It's too much. So Chiana does her magic eye thing, which gives Chiana a moment to shine. And she does her magic eye thing to kind of see all the stuff. Yeah. So that's where she everything slows down for her and she can absorb it all. And Stark is the one who's going to be at the console of the den because he has prior experience being Talon's pilot in Meltdown in season three. Uh, he's not handling it very well, though. <laughs> and we still get to see these glimpses of, of Manic Stark where, you know, it's all about Stark and how great he is. And then, but Chiana actually handles it really well right here. Even though she's the one saying, "Okay, I'll do your job for you. I got it covered." You know, it's Chiana stepping up and being the adult in the room again, mm-hmm. and that's always nice to see. Though she's, you know, understandably kind of upset when she goes blind at the end, as she does after she does her eye thing, and it doesn't seem to be going away. So that's everybody there. They get Pilot off screen onto the pod. And then Aaron and John and Pilot go down in a transport pod down the wormhole. And meanwhile, they're like, you know, they're, they've gone to this extended uh, starburst and the striker, the Scarin striker is on its way and it's coming. So they're like racing to get there and get everything done before the striker arrives. Mm-hmm. I, I want to point out a slight issue I had in this episode, which is that... <laughs> Why would a striker survive in a wormhole? Do you know what I mean? Was kind of my oh, question. Right. They made such a big deal about the prowlers not being able to go through for the peacekeepers. Well, and also we've seen a wormhole destroy a striker like two episodes ago when John gives Stalik the coordinates to a wormhole. Yeah, but they were in the wrong place for that. Like they they were in like the some sort of like wall of it, I think, or they were like I thought located s- improperly. Oh, I thought that Stalik had ordered them into the wormhole. I thought that no, that was the whole premise. No, they were at a spot and then the wormhole opened and then the, and then the function of the wormhole opening destroyed the striker. Oh, okay. Well, because I wasn't sure just because the way that it was phrased where John and Aaron are both like, did you send it in? We didn't tell you to send it in, you know? <laughs> uh, but anyway, so yeah, it's kind Maybe of... you're right. I can't remember exactly now. Yeah, no, but my thing was kind of like, okay, like, don't get me wrong. Maybe a striker could. Maybe it's made of the same stuff that Darko's ship is made of. But my other thing is kind of like, Farscape, you need to get your wormhole mythology straight. Yeah, right? (laughs) They're not always the best at that. But, you know, maybe they have, would it be able to, like, last long enough to get down and bomb Earth or something? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) What's her name from uh, season three, the episode Incubator? Mm -hmm. Um the one where we see Scorpius's flashbacks, the the pilot who comes through and does and and was able to survive for several arns. Maybe they have something like that going on. Yeah, that's true. We also find out that the captain of the striker is actually Akna's lover, which mm-hmm. was something I I meant to mention a few episodes ago, and I for completely forgot. But it was <laughs> super hilarious because Akna technically loves him, but she also uses him a lot, and it's kind of funny. <laughs> So So much of that in this show. Right. Um, Right. And it's actually, we do have a short scene between her and Stalik where they're talking about that. And and he's talking about, we're doing this for the good of the Scarin Empire. And she's still stuck on, you killed my father, prepare to die. Mm -hmm. You know? (laughs) 
And it's a little bit unclear if she decides she's going to go with him on this or not, but she's also a little bit mad that he essentially put her lover on this really dangerous mission. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So John arrives, John and the transport pod arrive on the moon. And we actually see John in his um, in his black exterior suit on the moon at the flag uh, that the Americans left when they landed. And a clip to that flag is a picture of his family that his father had left when he walked on the moon, which is part of Farscape canon. Mm-hmm. Through some magic of tapping into the phone landlines, he calls his dad. And... I didn't get the entire tire uh, conversation between them, but I got like 90% of it. And basically he says, hey, I'm on the moon. His dad's happy to hear from him. And then he tells him he can't stay because the Scarens are on their way. How long do we have? Not long. Then take me with you. Take us all. We're ready. 500 of the world's best. We can help. There's no time. What do you mean there's no time? For Moya to get from the moon to the earth, what's it take? Blink of the eye, two seconds? Come on, son! We're down to minutes, Dad. How do you want to spend them? Son. Listen, the Secretary General of the UN is... He speaks for the planet and all space matters now. We're starting to come together, just like you wanted. That's good. Keep that up. I was looking forward to going with you, boy. Well, sometimes things don't happen quite the way you imagine them. Tell Susan Liv that... I love him. And I'll contact you if I can. Tell everyone. I will, son. You tell my grandkids about me. Huh. That's a no-brainer. They gotta know who my hero is. You're gonna find... You have your own. You want them to pass you. Be better. Climb higher. I guess if that's the measure, I'm the greatest dad on earth. I was tearing up during that conversation while I was walking, watching it. Just the two of them together, my heart just grows like three sizes. <laughs> and it's so much development and it's so much everything. I feel like the first episode started with John and his father. So, of course, the last episode is going to end with the two of them. And then they're just in such different places. 
Mm -hmm. you know? Like, remember that first conversation John has with his father where his dad's like, I'm proud of you. And all John can hear is, but, you know? Right, right. And and his dad tells him, you have to be your own kind of hero. And, you know, here's the fulfillment of that. Yeah. And I love, I love this idea of Earth coming together. And also I love the idea of 500, like, random you know, humans in space. <laughs> I don't think they're random. They're all like, they're the scientists. They're the, the people who are planning to go out. <laughs> yeah, it's like 500 willing, smart scientists, you know. But at the <laughs> to same time. To be unleashed time, on the universe. <laughs> yeah. And also, I don't know, there's so much I love about this. I love that this episode actually gives us so many, you know, AUs. Like there's mm-hmm. the AU where they aren't able to close the wormhole and John and Aaron are stuck on Earth during a Scarin invasion. And then there's this other AU where they do have time to go get, you know, Jack and 500 scientists, you know, and then Mm -hmm. they're all exploring the galaxy together. I don't know. It's just this episode gives us so many like really rich like what ifs. Yeah, definitely. It definitely does. You know, that's one of the best things about the wormhole storylines of this entire show. I just love, you know, being able to play with traveling and time and space and also, you know, being stuck on one side or the other. Mm hmm. So they managed to wake up Pilot, who's out of it for very obvious reasons, just in time to have the wormhole begin to form. Pilot takes them through at exactly the right moment. And as they're going through, the striker has come up on Moya, shot her a bunch of times, which I'm like, that was unnecessary, (laughs) and gone straight into the wormhole. And as they're going into the wormhole, the pod is actually coming through in the opposite direction, destroying the wormhole behind them. So they, the pod ends up going through the striker ship in a very similar way to, that it did to the Pathfinder ship, but this time they don't end up merging. They just go straight through. The striker is completely destroyed, which Anka is obviously not happy about, and neither is Talik, <laughs> and the wormhole is destroyed. And so they end up back on Moya, And Mm -hmm. poor Pilot is really out of it. And Moya is recovering in this like ocean bath of like healing minerals. And Stark is comforting Pilot and Moya by basically saying, basically Zan's prayer to the goddess of some sort. And while he's doing that, Nuranti actually says the prayer for Stark because Stark is so troubled, you know, Mm -hmm. and she recognizes that, which I thought was a really nice little touch. Well, she also knocks him out because he starts going on and on about how he protected and saved Moya while Pilot was gone. That's right, yeah. I love (laughs) Neranti. Yeah. They're on this ocean. John and Aaron are out in a boat outside of Moya. Okay, there are a couple weird things about this episode. And one of them is back at the beginning when why does John go in the airlock with Scorpius and Sokozu? There was no need for that. And then there's this. Where did they get a boat from? Like, oh my it's an gosh. actual rowboat. That was 100% like- <laughs> my question. Yeah, the airlock thing, I'm almost positive, was just because he had to see Scorpius actually leave the ship. <laughs> but like, I could hand wave that one. Yeah, the boat thing, I literally cannot handle. I'm like, why is there a boat? Where did it come from? <laughs> it's a wooden boat. I don't know. Maybe they went to a land area nearby and stole a boat. I could totally see them doing that. But anyway, they're they're in a boat, John and Aaron, and we're just kind of going to leave it there. 
but it's absurd. The rest of it isn't. The rest of it's kind of fun. Okay, but actually, uh, I do have to point out one more thing about the boat. Filming okay. on the water in like direct sunlight means that they have this entire conversation trying not to squint at each other, <laughs> where I was kind of like, I get that this is really romantic, but honestly, humans, when they're out in that much sun... We put on sunglasses because it's so bright to be near the ocean. I'm like, just have them film it on like a deck underwater or something romantic. But there's a reason for the boat, which we're going to get into. So John and Aaron are on the boat and we have the peanut gallery who is uh, Chiana, who is still blind and Dargo and Rigel. And Chiana's really worried about her eyesight because normally it would have come back by now, but it hasn't. Dargo promises her that they'll go find the diagnosis that they heard about nearby. Next thing. Anyway, they're watching. John and Aaron have a conversation. They can't hear anything, but Chiana keeps asking Dargo and Rigel, what's going on? What are they doing now? And what they're doing out there is John has a question for Aaron. And he starts out, first of all, with the coin, the coin from season three or a similar coin from season three. And he says, you know, we let this coin toss decide our fate last year. And, you know, he throws it up and says, call it. And she doesn't. And it falls overboard because they're not going to let, you know, a random flip of the coin dictate what they're going to do anymore. And they're going to decide what they're going to do. I have a question. Can I go first? Yeah. When I was on the command carrier, I went to see a surgeon. I was really worried about what the Scarens did to me. The fetus has been released from its stasis. So I'm having a baby. hurt himself. Will you marry me? Yes. <laughs> and 
then there's swelling music, and then John puts the ring that his sister gave him in terra firma on her finger, and Dargo describes it, and Chiana's the one who realizes, didn't you guys watch any of those those Earth things, movies? And she figures out that it's a marriage proposal back at the peanut gallery, and Ren Rigel says, that idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I just love how they use humor there to undercut the melodrama. And it's just kind of this really great counterpoint between their friends watching and kind of being a part of this moment between the two of them. And then the two of them finally getting together. They're having a baby. They're getting married. And it's just fantastic. Oh, I know. I love (laughs) so much about this. This is just absolutely the climax as many issues as I've had with the like, who's the daddy plotline, it actually meant a lot to me that John was planning on proposing to her before he knew who the dad was, before he knew who the baby daddy was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also like that Aaron, I think she knows the question that's coming and she stops it and she says, let me tell you about the baby first. Because that was such a point of contention between the two of them and like promises and natural election and that whole sequence early in the season. So here she is coming clean, being like, this is 100% the situation here. The fetus has been released. I'm having a baby. It's yours. Does that mean you still want me? And I just like, I don't know. It ties up those issues that they had between them or two. I know. And it's so well-deserved and just, I don't know, this like really hits a lot of my buttons in yeah. terms of like <laughs> them finally getting it together. And I love the peanut gallery here because <laughs> our dog was like, John seems really angry. <laughs> and then Rigel's like, maybe he hurt himself. He's down on his knees. <laughs> and it's Chiana, who is currently blind, who figures it all out. So, uh, so good. Yeah. This is like a scene I remember like super clearly from watching the show. Yeah. Same. And I also remember this next scene, the last scene of the episode, which is uh, aircraft coming in, scanning them with an alien in the cockpit who asks, we have intruders. What should we do with them? There's two of them outside their ship. And they're like, neutralize them. And he neutralizes them by shooting at them. And John and Aaron see him coming. They say, I love you to each other. They think this is it. They can't get back to Moya in time. Dargo is screaming at them on Moya. He can't do anything. He's opened the doors, but that's all he can do. They're too far away. And they get shot and disintegrate into these little crystalline particles in the boat until they're just a pile of crystals. And Dargo is screaming. And the end of the episode it focuses on the engagement ring. And it says, to be continued, which is the worst lie ever, mm-hmm. by the way. <laughs> yeah, that was not really fun to watch the first time no it was not but fortunately for you and fortunately for us there is a to be continued they got the peacekeeper wars two years later oh my god it was a really long two years i couldn't talk about farscape for that time period by the way no i was upset i was too upset by it but we will have the peacekeeper wars coming up yeah i i do want to reiterate that since they knew before they started editing this episode because if they just ended it with john and aaron being happy and having been proposed and then just ended it right there i feel like that would have been more fair to the fans but Mm -hmm. i don't know they did what they did brian and (laughs) brian and rockney (laughs) did what they did (laughs) and uh, david kemper yeah but i also without the cliffhanger do you think they would have gotten the miniseries no 
I don't think so either. But I don't think they would have needed it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I feel like this episode wraps up a lot of kind of, I mean, it doesn't wrap up the Scarin and the Peacekeeper thing, but it wraps up the whole Earth thing. So Earth mm-hmm. is safe now. And that was like essentially a major theme. John controls wormholes now. You know, he has the math to control wormholes. And mm-hmm. he and Aaron are together and they're in a good place. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I sure. feel like without the cliffhanger, you wouldn't have necessarily needed, uh, <laughs> you know, a mini series. Yeah. That said, I think I'm willing to have traded my two years of Farscape trauma. Not real trauma, but, you know, emotional breakup with the television show that you loved very, very dearly and have the miniseries because I really like the miniseries. Yeah, I mean, no argument. I think Peacekeeper Wars is excellent television. But, <laughs> uh, and and I'll be honest, Farscape, even this, Farscape has not done nothing to compare to, like, Supernatural, which is the only other <laughs> show that I have loved as much and broken up with as violently. <laughs> I don't think you broke up with Farscape the same way you broke up with Supernatural at all. Yeah, that's true. Because Farscape was like your boyfriend leaving you in the middle of the night and you being like, what happened? But what then he was comes that? back. Yeah, but then he comes back and Supernatural was like getting out of a relationship that was not good. <laughs> yes, very true. So we have finished season four. So that means we are doing a season four wrap up episode next week. By May 4th, please send us any of your comments, thoughts, voice memos, anything you want us to talk about on the air. We are happy to do so. We are Farscape Friday podcast at Tumblr and Dreamwith and Gmail. And we are Farscape Friday on Twitter. All right. See you later. Bye. Bye.